Good morning. My name is Tommy Allen. I'm the lead pastor of New Hope Presbyterian Church in Kemp, Washington, and we are glad you are here. This is our 34th or 5th um, sermon in a series on the Jesus Storybook Bible. And just so you know, we're going out of order this week. We were supposed to do today's sermon next week, but some things came up. Either way, if you're following along, today we are going to be talking about the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And I believe that the Jesus Storybook Bible titles this, The Man Who Didn't Have Any Friends, None. So before we do that, I thought I would do the same confession of sin that we are doing in church even now. If you're able to come to church, we'd love to have you. We are meeting at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at our facility in Kent. So if you want to follow along, you can find the confession of sin in the discussion below, and I will begin. Wake in our hearts, O Lord our God. Make them watchful to serve you and alert to your command. You have created us full of trouble. You have made us strangers in this world. Trouble us with the smallness of our concerns. Trouble us with the greatness of your command. Trouble us with our unholiness and our slowness to obey. Trouble us with time running out in every lost hour. Trouble us with our sins and the sins of all men. Trouble us with the troubles of your church, which are the work of men. Trouble us and let us watch continually for your judgment. Trouble us, O Lord, and let us keep our faith in the midst of our trouble. Let us go forth desiring the coming of your glory. Let us go forward for your glory shall be revealed. We thank you that our work ends and your work begins. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Amen. Now, if you were here with us in person, I'll give you a moment to confess your sins silently. But since you're not, um, we'll go straight to the assurance of pardon. And I tell you this, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I'm, as a minister of the gospel, it's my pleasure to tell you, know that your sins are forgiven and be at peace. Amen and amen. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 19. Let me read that to you. Verse 19, chapter 19, verse 1 says this, He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray for those of us who are downtrodden and weary, we would be uh, buoyed and lifted up by your grace this morning. pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking, in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask you a couple questions to begin with. And... I need to set it up a little bit. So I want you to do this. I want you to think about of a celebrity or a politician or an athlete, 
Someone that you don't really know that well or at all. Let's do that. Someone you don't know at all, but whom you despise. Okay. Someone you don't know, but you despise. You know, maybe a foreign, foreign president or a current president, whoever. Think about the person who you really don't know, but you despise. And then I want you to ask yourself this. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down to think about later. Why do you despise the person? Do you despise the person because they've done something wrong? Or do you despise the person because they have an opinion that's different than yours? Do you despise their behavior? Do you despise them because they've won too many Super Bowls? <laughs> I'm sorry about that one. Uh, so that's the question. So the second question is what makes you any better? What makes you any better than the person you despise? Are you more spiritual? Are you more holy? Are you just a good person and they're a bad person? So who do you despise? What makes you any better? And then let me ask you this. This is the capper. Is there anything that person could do to make themselves more acceptable to you? Anything. Before you answer, let me just do it for you. The answer is probably not. Why not? Well, you see, unless and until you understand that in spite of your own sins and your own wickedness, that you have been loved and accepted and forgiven, you can't extend those things to other people. In other words, you can't display that which you have not experienced. You know, I, I read a book about, finished it about a month ago by Douglas Murray called um, The Madness of Crowds. And it's really about the whole cancel culture and a bunch of different issues, you know, racism and all these kind of things and how just America is constantly, uh, people are at each other's throat, especially on social media. And it was interesting because Murray, as I understand it, is not a Christian. He's gay. And he talks a lot about the gay community in the book. And yet he says that the, the reason that America is in the state it's in, as far as people hating each other and people uh, trolling each other online and everything, is because we have no real concept anymore of the Christian worldview and concept of forgiveness. And in other words, here's a guy outside the faith saying, the reason the world is so messed up right now is because you guys don't know how to forgive each other. And honestly, I agree with them. When you look online, there's, there's no way for some of these worldviews that you see posted all the time. Um, if there's no forgiveness, there's nothing but bitterness left. There is, there is nothing. And so this morning, I'm actually, I love this, this passage in the Bible because it is just such a, a great picture of grace. It's, it's a picture of a man who deservedly was the most hated man in his town, and yet he is completely changed to the core by this thing we call the gospel. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the worst of sinners. We're going to look at the work of Jesus. And then finally, we're going to look at the power of the gospel. What does it look when the, like when the gospel has transformed somebody? In fact, in all of the New Testament, this is one of the only places where we see someone interact with Jesus, we see Jesus either heal them or, or forgive them, and we get to see the response to it. We get to see the, how their lives have changed right in front of our eyes. So let's look first at the worst of sinners. Um, to set up a little context, in Luke, 
if you go back to chapter 18, in verse 18, starting at verse 31, Jesus said, it says, and taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Verse 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what he said. So the story that we're getting ready to look at takes place as Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem, the last days of his life. And and it actually takes place on either side of the city of Jericho. In other words, as Jesus is entering the city of Jericho, he meets a guy who is basically down and out, blind Bartimaeus, right? He's he wants his sight. It says in verse 35, as he drew near Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Jesus asks him what he wants. Eventually, Jesus heals him. And in verse 43, it says, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. It's important. So Jesus heals someone who's down and out, someone who no one even pays attention to. But it seems like a cool thing. It was nice. He stood with the oppressed or he stood with the downtrodden. That's the kind of savior I want. Someone who actually stands with the down and out. Well, he, the, the very next scene, we see Jesus going from dealing with someone who's down and out to someone who's de- who is actually up and out, right? Someone, someone who is despised and up and out. And notice, so it says in verse 19, or in chapter 19, verse 1, it says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. That's an important part of the story to get because Jesus had no intention of stopping in Jericho. Jericho is about 15 miles from Jerusalem. And so he apparently he was just going to walk through small place, get to the other side and keep going. Now, as he's walking through, the crowd would have been, um, you know, asking him things. They would have just wanted to touch him. They would have wanted to do anything else. And all of the best people in the town would have offered him hospitality. You know, the mayor and whoever, the town, the treasurer, whoever was important in that town would have been offering Jesus um, hospitality and he clearly he's turning it down he doesn't plan to stop in jericho it says he entered jericho and was passing through and then i love luke's luke says in verse two and behold or check this out (laughs) check this out there was a man named zacchaeus he was a chief tax collector and was rich and he was seeking to see who jesus was but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature Zacchaeus always reminds me, if you've seen kids, if you've seen Shrek, remember Lord Farquaad, right? He seems like he's a big guy until he gets off his horse and he's like really tiny. That's who I'm reminded of when I think about Zacchaeus. So what do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, first of all, um, he is a tax collector and he is rich. Now, it's actually even bigger than that. A, a better word here, or what the way the people would have viewed him, is not as the chief tax collector, but as the chief tax collaborator. In other words, how it worked is the Romans would hire one person in a town, or that person would buy the rights from the Romans to be this guy, and he would collaborate with the Romans, basically, to shaft the people. And actually, he would collaborate with the Romans and he would shaft them. The Romans would just do what they do. And what I mean by that, so let's say Zacchaeus, he's the man. He's the chief collaborator in Jericho. And the Romans would have come to him and said, okay, at the end of the year, we expect that you would have collected 10% 
tax on every person who's here and we'll come at the end of the year, we'll collect it. And so we're going to collect 10% of the money from these people. Now, the only person in Jericho who would have known what the number was is Zacchaeus. And that was on purpose because the way Zacchaeus made his money is he would go to all the people and say, the Romans want 15% from you. He would take the Romans temper, the actual 10%, he would pocket the 5% and Zacchaeus was rich. Everyone knew he was doing that. All of them did it, but they had no recourse. And so I imagine it was, it was a, it, you know, a, a tightrope for Zacchaeus to not charge do too much so that the people just rebelled on one hand. On the other hand, he wanted to get as much as he could. Clearly, he was vile, at least in the eyes of his fellow townspeople. I mean, he would have been so vile. How vile was he? He'd have been so vile, he would have been excommunicated from synagogue. So he couldn't go to church. His whole family would have been considered to be unclean. And therefore, they neither could they go to the synagogue. And of course, his house would have been unclean. People would have avoided him on the street. When the Jesus Storybook Bible says this is a story about the man who didn't have any friends, none, that's not an overstatement. There's no question that Zacchaeus probably had absolutely zero friends because he made a living by ripping off his neighbors. No one would like that. So can you understand, right? Do you understand why he didn't have any friends? We also see exactly how unliked he was in verse 3. And it says, and he was seeking to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature, right? Now, of course, this is in the Jesus Storybook Bible, because what self-respecting children's Bible would not have a story of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. It just sounds so cute when in fact, it's actually super dark. What do I mean? Like if you look at verse three, it says, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. In other words, Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus not only because he was short, he couldn't see Jesus because he was also hated. You see, if he was, if he was a, a wealthy man who commanded any respect or any kind of gratitude from the people of the town, and he came up and he couldn't see, the crowd would have just parted for him. They would have let him through. Or he could have asked them, excuse me, I'm short. Can I come? Can I stand in the front of you so I could see? And no one parted for him. They showed him absolutely no respect. And you know, some people look down and they just sneered at him. Now, why didn't he just push himself through the crowd? Well, that would be even worse because he didn't want to get a knife in the back. Like literally. Imagine you're the most hated guy in the world and it's back in, 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 in the day when uh, law and order was a little less than what we would consider to be law and order. And he's pushing through the crowd. The next thing you know, he's got a knife sticking out of his back. So he's not going to attempt to get through the crowd. So he can't see over them. They're not splitting and he ain't about to walk in the middle of them. So what does he do? Well, fortunately for Zacchaeus, he, no one respects him anyway, and so he's shameless, and so he does what no self-respecting uh, Middle Eastern man would ever do. And notice verse 4. It says, so he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So what are the two things that no self-respecting Middle Eastern man would do? Um, well, they wouldn't run not in public for sure, and they wouldn't climb a tree, right? Here's a, like a rich, 
older, we assume he's a little bit older, and he's running and he's climbing a tree. He has no shame. Why should he? No one likes him anyway. What, what are they going to do? Call him names? So he runs and he climbs a tree and it very specifically says he climbed a sycamore tree. That's a clue again to, to what's going on in the story. Sycamore trees, um, you could see in this picture here that sycamore trees are basically just huge, right? They, they have their large trees with low hanging branches and large leaves. And he thought he could run ahead and climb this tree and no one would see him. Now, interestingly enough, the sycamore trees were so big and sort of so they took up so much space, they weren't allowed to be in the town. They had, they had to be outside the town, at least 75 feet away. And so we know Jesus in, met the blind man as he headed into Jericho. And now he's outside of Jericho and he is about to meet Zacchaeus. And this whole time he has not accepted anyone's hospitality. He hasn't stopped. He hasn't even eaten with anybody. He's just gone from point A to point B. Zacchaeus is, has probably thinks he is now sort of safe and sound. He's probably, you know, squirreled away in that tree and he thinks no one's going to see him. Well, what he didn't anticipate was the work of Jesus. She didn't anticipate it. That's the next point. What is the work of Jesus? Notice how he initiates with Zacchaeus. Verse five, it says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Now this is interesting because if Jesus could see Zacchaeus, so could the crowd. We know that the crowd was still with Jesus. Maybe Zacchaeus ran outside the town and went up into the street because he thought by that time the crowd would have dissipated and Jesus would be by himself. He could look at him. And for all we know, someone else spotted Zacchaeus and pointed him out to Jesus, probably the way that Jesus knew Zacchaeus's name and knew how knew his reputation was the crowd. In other words, someone spotted Zacchaeus and they probably started sneering. They probably started jeering, maybe yelling things at him. And Jesus hears that they're criticizing this man Zacchaeus. He is the worst of sinners. He is the most vile person in the town. And what do you know? Jesus thinks this is a great time for a practical application and a demonstration of what I am able and willing and came here to do. And so what the crowd, I think what the crowd expects Jesus to say, they expect Jesus to look up and say, Zacchaeus, I've heard all about you. I've heard about your stealing. I've heard about your conniving. I've heard about your collaborating. And here's the thing. I don't want anything to do with you. Not only that, before I would ever come and, and even speak to you in, in a civil way, I need you to go to Jerusalem and you need to repent of your sins of collaboration and you need to be purified at the temple and then come back and your whole house needs to be purified. And then maybe when I'm passing through again, maybe then I will stop by and check to see if you're being a good person. That's what they expected him to say. What they did not expect him to say was, Zacchaeus, <laughs> come down. I must stay at your house. Think about that. And Jesus has entered Jericho, he has exited Jericho, and he has not received hospitality from any of the important people in Jericho. He has not let any of the important people uh, serve him lunch. He has not offered to stay at the homes of any of the important people. They would have offered him. And he said, no, 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 no. And, and it would have been sort of a slight 
to them for Jesus to, to walk away from their hospitality. So not only did he walk away from the hospitality of people in Jericho, but he has actually invited himself to the house of the town's very worst possible sinner, Zacchaeus. And that's where we begin to see how the, the work of the gospel, the work that Jesus actually does. So notice what it says in verse 7. It says, and they, that is the crowd, saw it, and they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, that sounds very self-righteous, doesn't it? Because it is. What's interesting here is Zacchaeus was so bad. How bad was he? He was so bad that this isn't the religious people. Usually we have religious people looking and saying, oh, he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. You know, he's not good like us. This is like just the rabble. The average people, the, the bad people, the, the ones who the Pharisees thought were bad, think Zacchaeus is bad. That's how bad he is. But what's more important to notice here is that even though these, these people are self-righteous and even though they don't get it, um, what Jesus has really done here is he has shifted the crowd's hostility from Zacchaeus to himself. The crowd hated Zacchaeus for who he was. They hated him for what he had done. And Jesus, in, a, in an act of costly grace, by the way, has shifted their hostility from Zacchaeus to Jesus. Jesus is now the object of their hostility, not Zacchaeus. Now think about it. Earlier in the day, they were, they were praising him for healing the blind man. And now suddenly, he's at, he's, he's at the top of their enemy list. Now they are hostile toward him. And that is the hostility that Zacchaeus should be bearing. That's the hostility that Zacchaeus bore all the time, I imagine. Now, why that's important for us is because in, in about a week or so, Jesus would be in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, at the cross, he would shift the hostility of the whole city of Jerusalem, the whole Jewish nation, the whole religious establishment, the whole world government at that time, and even more importantly, God himself, from us to himself. In other words, Jesus is going to take on all the hostility that you and I deserve from everywhere, especially hostility from God. Remember the question I asked you at the beginning? Right? Who do you despise? Like, you, you know, who, who's violent in your sight? Well, guess how we appear to God outside of his grace, R right? You're, you're no gem. I certainly am no gem. And what happens in Jerusalem is this shift in hostility from, from us to Jesus. And in exchange, we receive grace and mercy and forgiveness. In other words, unless Jesus takes the hostility that you and I deserve, unless we experience grace, mercy, and forgiveness from him, we will never be able to show it to someone else. You will always be stuck in this loop of making nasty Facebook posts, <laughs> nasty Twitter posts, and people making nasty ones back to you, and then you're just writing people off. That's no way to live. Have you considered the gospel? Do you really get it? Do you understand that Jesus has taken everything every bad thing that you deserve onto himself to give you every good thing that he deserves. Because once you do that, once you understand that, once your eyes are open to that, then you start to experience the power of the gospel. You can't help but be changed. 
that's where we're going to look at next. Notice in verses 8 through 10. And Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Okay, I, I love that part of this story because in verse 8. Because what's happening here is this the scene has shifted. They're probably at Zacchaeus' house. They're probably at dinner, maybe a dinner party. Maybe it, it's just Jesus and the disciples and, and a few people. Who knows? But they're, they're at Zacchaeus' house now. And without any prompting, Zacchaeus stands up and makes these statements. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, all right, Zacchaeus, now that we're here all by ourselves, here's what I want you to do. I want you to... to to repent. I want you to do this. I want you to follow this outline. I want you to, to you know, do financial peace with Dave Ramsey so you become generous. I want you, I want you to do all this. Jesus doesn't say anything. The gospel has changed Zacchaeus to the core. And we know because when he stands up, the thing that he loved most in life is now, he's now vowing to give it away. In other words, because Zacchaeus experienced costly love from Jesus, he is now able to show costly love. And what does he say he's going to do? Half of my goods I give to the poor. That's big for a rich guy. And then he says, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In other words, I'm going to to start being generous to the poor and I'm going to pay restitution for all those people that I ripped off. I'm going to make it right in as much as I can do that. He was forever changed by costly grace. And get this, he was also, because Zacchaeus was changed by costly grace, the whole town's economic system was reformed. Think about that. So this town has a faulty economic system because it is crooked. And if the people in the town existed today, all they would have done about that is basically complained on Facebook and said what a crooked system it is, and they would have complained and said how bad Zacchaeus is, and they would have posted memes and say they were glad if he died and all this kind of stuff. You know what Jesus does? (laughs) Jesus changed the guy in charge of the crooked economic system, and the economic system changed. Simple as that. Stop complaining about systems, maybe, and start engaging with people. Stop complaining about how wicked people are and show forgiveness. And maybe those changed people will start to change the things around them. Jesus starts with the man and the whole city, the whole town is changed. And Jesus responds to him. We'll close with this in verse nine. It says, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. So how does Jesus respond? The first thing he says is, today salvation has come to this house. And what's important to get there is the reason salvation has come to that house is because someone brought it. Zacchaeus didn't just, he wasn't good and therefore earned salvation. Someone named Jesus brought salvation to his house that Jesus was willing to pay the bill of hostility towards Zacchaeus so Zacchaeus could feel accepted, loved, and forgiven, and be accepted and loved and forgiven. The second thing he basically says that this man truly is also a son of Abraham. 
Remember, Zacchaeus would have been considered unclean. He would have been uh, excommunicated from the synagogue. No one would have been around him. And what Jesus says here is basically the ultimate declaration of acceptance for Zacchaeus. He is the son of Abraham. He is in. Our father Abraham is, is now uh, is, is, is Zacchaeus' father. In other words, he's part of Israel. He's part of me. Ultimately, he is part of the community of God. And then the last thing Jesus says is he says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And, and, and in other words, imagine someone challenging Jesus and say, oh, he hangs out with sinners. And can you believe that? I would love to hear Jesus say, that's my job. I got one job. Seek and save that which is lost. And what you're seeing right now is what that looks like. You see, we tend to think, oh, we rejoice that the down and out person receives healing, which we should rejoice. But do we rejoice when the up and out person receives healing and forgiveness? You see, the, the, the beggar received, a, he, he, Jesus stood with him and Jesus opened his eyes and with, with, hit, with Zacchaeus, Jesus did the exact same thing, except we tend to look at Zacchaeus, the people then tended to look at Zacchaeus very differently because he was wealthy or because he had harmed them. You see, at the end of the day, Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost, period, full stop. In other words, he didn't say, I came to save people who are a little bit lost. I didn't come to save people who are a lot lost. I came to save people who are lost, period. And here's the deal. If you don't know Jesus, you are lost. And if you think you're good, but you don't have Jesus, lost. If you think you're bad and so far gone that nothing can help you, lost. And if you are lost, Jesus is the one who came for you. Let me close. Let me finish by reading the last part of the Jesus Storybook Bible. The last part of this story says this. The people saw this. This is Jesus calling Zacchaeus out of the tree. The people saw this, and needless to say, it made them even crosser and grumpier than usual. They mumbled and murmured and muttered. Why is Jesus being kind to that big sinner? Doesn't Jesus know about him? But Jesus knew. <laughs> he knew all about Zacchaeus and the stealing and everything, and he still loved him. Zacchaeus was ashamed. Lord, he said, turning pale, what I've done is wrong, but now I want to do the right thing. I want to give the money back to everyone, four times what I stole, and that's just what he did. Jesus smiled, my friend, today God has rescued you. Jesus loved Zacchaeus when nobody else did. He was Zacchaeus' friend even when no one else was, because Jesus was showing people what God's love was like, his wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would come and you would just work these truths into our hearts. If there are people we need to forgive, I pray that you would give us a vision of the forgiveness you have given to us that we might extend it. I pray even for our country that you would uh, move the gospel in such a way that people are changed and we become a more forgiving people. In Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen and amen. Well, at this point in the service, I would uh, pray and we would do usually a doxology and an offertory, but because of COVID, we just put any physical checks in a box. And during that time, we have a, a musical meditation 
And for you, if you'd like to give, um, you can find directions below. And if you have been giving, thank you very much. Um, we're doing great. So thank you. I thought I would end this morning with the Heidelberg Catechism and really two questions that have to do with the Eighth Commandment, which the Eighth Commandment is stealing, right? You should not steal. And so question 110 asks this, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? Answer, God forbids not only outright theft and robbery punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes all scheming and swindling in order to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. Question 111, what does God require of you in this command? In other words, the first step, what does God forbid? This next question says, what does God require? Answer, that I do whatever I can for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those in need. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning, and we look forward to seeing you, I hope, in church someday. And until that time, um, we're glad that you could be here. Let me send you with this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his countenance shine upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen. Go from this virtual place in the peace of that knowledge. Amen. Have a great week.